Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube. You'll find the links in the podcast description. I'm also a podcasting coach because I got four other podcasts, Meditation, Learn Polish, Crypto on Awakening, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with solutions. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. My guest today, based in North Carolina, please welcome Dave Album. Hey, Roy. Nice to see you, man. And you, I, I was saying prior to it, or recording, what a beautiful background that you've got, Firewalk Adventures. But you, you might let the listeners know, who's Dave? Who's Dave? Well, Dave Alba is a guy that, um, through a very painful path of, of drug and alcohol abuse, uh, woke up one day and said, you know what? You, you're going to have to make a decision because you're not going to be able to deal with this pain, this excruciating emotional and physical pain anymore. And so uh, after kind of wrestling with the idea of putting a bullet in my head, uh, which seemed like a quick out, right? Because I knew the pain would stop. I decided to call an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous, and they are global. And I went to a meeting that day, actually with the four meetings, and it worked. Um, I, I found a home. I, I found solutions. I found a way of living. I found the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and a group of men and women who were just like me. And they showed me love and support and kindness. And they gave me, you know, this idea that if you lived your life one day at a time and you just kind of calm down a little bit, we'll, we'll get you on the other side of this and you can learn how to live a life of sobriety. And, and that's how I, I, and I, and that really kind of bridged me Roy into the personal development industry. And that's when I met Tony Robbins. That's when I went to one of his very first events and that's where we did my first firewalk. And that's literally where you walk on hot coals. And it was a really profound experience for me. Um, uh, you know, you, you, I, I walked on coals that night. It was around midnight. And I'd been in a room with Tony Robbins for like 10 hours. And so he preps everybody to do this. And to set the stage, what happens is, is that I was with 3,000 people. And so you're in this room and he's with you for 10 hours. He gets you ready to do this firewalk. And then at one point he says, okay, take off your shoes. Well, I wasn't going to do the firewalk. I wanted to see Tony. I wanted to hear what he had to say. I wanted to learn from him because I had gone through one of his uh, programs that he sold uh, that came up. It was years ago. It was like in 1989 when I first went through his program. It was called Personal Power. And it came on little white things called cassette tapes. <laughs> and so um, uh, I, I did that program. I did what the man taught me to do. And it worked. And so I read his book and then I loaned that to a friend in AA and then he called me seven years later and now we're at this live event. And so when Tony takes you outside, um, uh, you're, you're walking out there with 3000 other people. And not only has he got you to take your shoes off to prep you for that part, he has everybody chanting, right? Everybody's walking out there going, yes, yes. And I remember thinking, no, uh, -uh I am not doing this. And and when you get out there, it's it's just incredible. He's got African drummers, right? So it's dun 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 dun, dun. and so you can just you know you're feeling this energy. It is it is off the chain, right? And so over in the corner, there's this giant fire, Roy. That he is. I think they probably started burning it around two o'clock in the afternoon, and now it's midnight, right? So this fire burnt all day, and what they do is they had they use hardwood, and then it, and by the time we get out there, right? It had rendered. So all this wood had burnt all day long and burnt down to the coals. Well, what they do is they take the coals and they load them in wheelbarrows. And then they lay on each 
side, you, they bring a wheelbarrow and on both sides, they lay sod, uh, grass. I think in Europe, they call it turf. And it's about three feet wide and it's about 15 to 18 feet long. And they just take shovels and they shovel those coals out onto that turf. And um, now I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, so I decide what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go hide in the back. Uh, nobody's going to know, right? Well, we know how that goes. Of course, somebody's going to know. I'm going to know. But that's just kind of my, that's my mindset at that moment. Well, what's interesting is that Tony trains people to go look for all the cowards. <laughs> all the people that don't want to do this, he trains them. They're in the back. Go find them. Well, that's what happened to me. Here comes this guy. He makes eye contact with me. He's looking at me. He gets about maybe 20, 25 feet from me. And he says to me, he says, are you okay? And, and of course, when we're okay, when we're not okay, what do we say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Well, I'm not fine, Roy. By any means am I fine. I'm scared to death. I'm dealing with all these demons. I've got all this stuff going on. It's breakthrough time, and I'm resisting. And, and he says, well, he says, are you going to walk tonight? And, and by the way, this is a perfect stranger. I, I've never met this man before. In fact, I, to this day, I don't know who it is. He said, well, are you going to walk tonight? And, and I looked at him and with a, with a lot of tonality. I said, absolutely not. And he goes, oh, hey, that's okay. He says, that's not a problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And then he asked me a question, Roy, that changed my life forever. One stranger, one question, boom set me on a completely different road. And he said, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I kind of, I remember thinking, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's watch these people burn their feet off. And so he says, well, you know, you can't see anything from where you are. Cause I was literally a hundred yards away from up at the front where they were walking. And he said, just get in line and eventually you'll be able to see. Well, I did that. I got in line and I'm just kind of walking along. Next thing I know, this guy comes up to me and he whispers in my ear and he says, he knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. And I'm thinking, dude, calm down. You didn't get the memo. I'm not doing this. I'm just watching. Well, I can't see anything up until one point where I get to a certain angle and I can see at an angle them walking. I can't see in front of me because I got too many people. But at an angle, I could actually, I'm looking and they're actually walking. And now my brain is freaking out. Because now I'm participating in something that I've got no references for. I've never seen anything like this. I've never been around anything like this ever. And, and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching. And the next thing I know, Roy, boom, there I am. I'm right there at the lane. And so to set this up so you kind of get a visual of what this all looks like, you know, there's a wheelbarrow there. It's full of coals. You got a lane of sod, right? The coals are on it. It's a beautiful moonlit night. They're glowing red. You can feel the heat coming off. And I'm staring at these coals and I am losing it. I, my, my, my heart is pumping so hard. It feels like it's going to come out of my chest. And, and there's a trainer standing there. There's a trainer on every lane. So Tony has trained people to be there to help get them across the fire, right? And all of a sudden he says, eyes up. And I'm like, oh gosh, like he's talking to me, <laughs> right? And so my eyes come up. Well, that's really interesting. Because when you're in the room with Tony for 10 hours, the, one of the things he teaches you first up is just keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear because you'll never, you'll never get through it, right? You have to look to the other end. Look to the celebration side is what he said. So now my eyes are up and all of a sudden he said, squeeze your fist and say yes. 
And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. And he screamed at me again. He said, stronger. And I went, yes. And as soon as I screamed like that, I threw my hands in the air. He goes, go, go, go. And I'll be darned if I didn't take off. And so, right? So here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. <laughs> when you take the first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I guarantee you, right? And metaphorically, that's such a beautiful thing because when we want to do something in life, it's all about taking the first step. And, you know, once you get to that point, and, and that's what's interesting about obtaining goals and things over the 20 years, 30 years I've been immersed in the personal development industry. I was with Tony for almost 20 years. I've been in the personal development now for almost 30 and, you know, it's all about taking that first step. It's making that decision. Yes, I'm going to do this. And then you take that first step. And then that starts the momentum, right? Well, when you fire, when I firewalked that night, it was exhilarating. I was like, you, I, I'm, I'm kept looking back, right? I'm going, was there a trick? I mean, I, I just did it. And I'm now telling myself I couldn't have possibly done it. So I'm struggling with all this, right? And, and at, there was even a point I thought I burnt myself really bad. And I'm looking at my feet right? Looking at both feet, they're dirty, but there's no burns. And I just walked across coals that were a thousand degrees and I didn't burn myself. So now I'm like, what in the name of what is going on? How can you do that? So again, at that moment, your brain is just going nuts. And it was an unbelievable experience right there on the spot. And I'm watching all these other people that do it. Remember, again, I'm over 3,000 people. And these people are just like, oh, my God. And they're celebrating and they're having a good time. And it's, it's wonderful. But here's where it gets really interesting from my perspective was the next day. We come in because this is a four-day seminar, right? Uh, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So on Saturday, when we came in after the firewalk, um, I'd never seen or experienced anything like it in my life. I saw people getting along humanistically, never experienced it, never saw it in my life, anything I've ever done. I played sports, you know, I had the camaraderie, I knew all that, but I'd never seen anything like it. Roy, people were hugging, they were laughing, they were crying, they were telling their stories, they were talking to each other. And when I mean talking to each other, I mean, they were communicating at a humanistic level, unlike anything I'd ever seen or experienced. And so my question to myself was, what, what caused that? I mean, did we drink the Kool-Aid last night? What, what happened? Did the fire walk cause this? And so that was the question that drove me. Because now I wanted to know more. What's going on? How, how is it that a fire walk could be so, so powerful to completely shift people into, you know, this realm of just being a, a, an amazing human, if you will? And so I got involved with Tony's companies. He uses a lot of volunteers. This was uh, uh, in 1995. Uh, by 1996, because I had a military and a security background, I got involved with Tony's um, security detail because he has a lot of celebrities that come to his events. And then I got put on the fire team. And that's when the magic started happening for me. I started, I started learning about how to facilitate a firewalk, all the logistics, what kind of wood do you use? What do you tell them? How do you teach them? How do you, how do, you do all these different things? And then that led from like 96, 97 to 2003. And that's when Robbins uh, uh, offered me what's called the fire captain position, which means that I took over all of Tony's firewalks globally. And as part of that, um, Tony paid to have my family travel with me. Uh, when he first offered it to me, I said, Tony, I don't know that I can do this. And he said, why? And I said, because I homeschool my kids. And I'm not going to walk away from that. It's not going to happen. He said, oh, okay, I missed that. 
And he said, well, what if we pay to have your family travel with us? Would that make a difference? And I said, oh, of course it would. And it did. So in the 2003, my family and I went on the road. Our first event was in Sydney, Australia. And then it just, the magic just happened, right? It was just firewalk after firewalk after firewalk, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, and it was probably, without a doubt, one of the most magical times of my entire life. Well, something else happened that was very magical. Oh, by the way, we, we set a world record uh, in London in 2005. Um, uh, we, we firewalked, um, uh, 12,300 people. Now to the best of my knowledge, that is a world record. And though Guinness book was not there, we do know that the, there's never been a firewalk anywhere close to that. Most firewalks that are done, uh, outside of the Robbins, uh, arena is, you know, maybe a couple hundred people. They don't get into the thousands at all. Um, and then how, in long, how long did that actually take? Because I, I had read that, the 12,300 in London. Like, was that done over a few days or was it just one kind of whole Oh, well, day? yeah, great question. Perfect, perfect on that. Um, well, uh, and here's what's really interesting. So we're at the Excel Center on the, on the Dockland side of London. And the, the Excel Center is huge, man. You know, when you go into the building, you can walk almost a mile uh, through the building. That's how long it is, how big it is. And so my team came in, I had about 75 people on the outside that were doing, you know, we did all the training, we did all the, we built the fire and we laid all the lanes, we did all that, right? Um, uh, I think we had 36 lanes, individual lanes. And each lane has its own trainer, its own lead in, people getting them, you know, that are, that are on this other side of the lane. And then there's people on the on, on the finishing side, right? Because we put two people at the end of every lane, right? So when you walk, they stop you and they say, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. Um, we did the entire firewalk, 12,300 people to your question, uh, just a little over an hour. I think it was an hour and seven minutes. Wow. And Craziest thing you've ever like, seen in your life. You mentioned when you've done it yourself, you know, the guy is kind of screaming at you to get you pumped. So I presume they have to do that a lot. What kind of training can you do to keep your energy level? Because that would suck a lot of your energy out if you have to try to be doing that because that's high intensity energy to take the people through. Like how how do you get get your team to be you know stay up there and? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, hundred um, percent. A great question again. Um, well, now you got to remember, I came from the back of the line, so I was resisting. So there's, a, there's three types of people typically that come out there. There's the ones that come running out there and they're ready to go, man. And they just go, go, go. And, you know, we just have to regulate that, right? We have to let them walk. And then they, they, those guys stop them. And then they get them out of the way, out of the lane, so the next guy can come. So there's, there's a rhythm to that. But once you get into that rhythm, you can walk people pretty quickly. Um, and, and they're not strolling through that fire lane. Roy, by any means, right? They're walking with purpose, right? They're, they're walking pretty briskly, if you will. Um, and then as you, as you kind of move through the lane, the, the, more, the ones that want to resist, and there's the other ones too, of course, that they want to watch. I'm not doing this until I watch somebody else do it. Because if three or four people walk and they get hurt, I'm not going to do it, right? So let those people go. So you know what I mean? There's such a mix and match of different personalities and different mindsets and, 
and 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 the way they do things and how they approach things, right? So in the beginning, though, again, you can walk them really, really fast, and then as you get to the middle, they take it takes a little more coaxing to get them to walk, and then the people at the back, those are the ones like me that was like, you know, hey, eyes up, uh, uh, squeeze your fist and say yes, stronger, stronger, strong, go, 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 right? So there's that part of it. So again, man, we we walked them, we walked that. 12,000 people over 12,000 people in an hour and seven minutes and what's the and that's psychology about average. like because i mean i've never done it to be honest with you i'd be probably the same as you hiding in the back i don't know would i how i'd feel but like i always thought that maybe the grass that's there is soaked in water and that's what does like what actually makes that your foot doesn't sizzle and that you just kind of burn the dung to the stump you know um i get asked this all the time and you know what my answer is? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. You know, I, I I just I think it has something to do with, you know, our bodies put off a tremendous amount of energy, right? If you take those Carillion cameras and you take pictures of your hand and your feet, they're very red. They're very warm. There's a lot of energy. And when you when, when you get to something where it's fight or flight, all those chemicals are being released in your body, right? We know that we have superhuman strengths and we can do superhuman things when we're in that type of a, a fight or flight situation, right? Uh, we hear about a mother, right? That a car has fallen and it's on their child and they've lift the car up off the child. So we have superhuman strengths when it comes to things like this, right? <clears throat> so the question is, I think that has something to do with it. I think because we're in such a peak state that there's energy coming off our hands, there's energy coming off our feet. Yes, there's energy coming off those coals, but I think they might repel each other a little bit. Now, the other thing is that you're not on the coals. You're not standing on them all that long, right? And you're on grass, uh, but the grass is dry. I mean, we spritz the lane when it starts, right? It, we, we, it, it, the, the lane is not wet. It's moist. And so then you lay those coals out there and there's, you know, we, we're, we're walking on grass. So it's about maybe two to three inches thick, depending on the side. And when you lay the, the coals on there, right, with the shovel, I beat the coals down into the grass. Um, and, and so when you walk on them again, you just it, you go right across it. But now here's what's interesting about that. This is a very beginner way to firewalk. If we, if we look at the history of firewalking, which has been around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, there's, there's, there's rite of passage firewalks out there that are that make our little baby firewalk look like a walk in the park, literally. Um, because culturally around the world, the Fahitians, uh, the people of India, they get really serious. They have firewalks that are so intense. I have a picture on my, on my website of a, um, a firewalk in India and what they did there, Roy, they did kind of a trench, right? And so it's about, it's probably about a foot deep. And, and, and then there's coals that are probably two to three inches deep inside of that trench. And the picture I've got is there's a family and friends that are standing around this pit. And they're, they're dressed in beautiful pastel colors that the people of India wear. They're beautiful. Just gorgeous. And you can tell this is very ceremonial, right? You can tell this is a rite of passage. This is a ceremony. This is not a motivational firewalk, you know, like Tony Robbins would do, right? And so in the picture, the, the woman that's firewalking is in, she's all the way down the pit. She's halfway through and she's getting ready to come up the other side. And she's holding three newborn babies 
in her hands. And then she's got something in her teeth. I think it's a flower of some kind. And she's wearing these beautiful, it's like a silk, you know, it's, it's like draped around them, right? It's not like a dress. It's just like these beautiful silk garments and so wrapped around her head. It's wrapped around her neck. It's wrapped around her whole body. And there she is, man. She can't get out. And again, she's walking on coals that are two to three inches deep, uh, not just a few coals sprinkled on top of um, on top of some sod. And then again, if you go a little deeper into the Indian culture there, you'll find that they they have a mound of coals sometime, like a, a literally like a six or seven foot mound of coals. And these guys are running up over the top of them coming out the other side. Now, do they get burnt? I don't know. I, I, I've never attended one. I've only seen pictures. I've done a little research about it, but that's about all I know. But again, you know, it goes, the Polynesians do this, the Hawaiians do this, the Indo-Europeans. In some cultures, you can't become a uh, what we would refer to as a man or a woman coming out of boyhood or, or girlhood until you've actually done a firewalk. Uh, the Indo-Europeans, the warriors, before they went to battle, Right. They all did a firewalk the night before. And, you, and if you didn't firewalk, you were you you weren't allowed to go to, to battle. So, you know what I mean? So it's been used in a, a lot of different ways. It's just that Western culture. The only thing they've ever been exposed to is the way Tony Robbins uh, has done it or T. Harbecker. And there's a couple of others. So it's real interesting. There's always another level, you know, we hear in the world. And, and so with with them, um, because like you mentioned that it, and I've heard of that where a woman can lift the car and everything. And obviously, like prior to the event, you would have thought, no way can I do this. But when you do something like that, like you must be questioning your whole body. What am I capable of doing? If I can do that without injuring myself, what 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 are we capable of? Well, that's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's exactly, and you hit the nail on the head. You nailed it right there. Because that's why Tony does the firewalk on day one of a four-day event. Because if he can get, he, and he tells you this, if you can firewalk, what else can you do? What else have you told yourself that you can't do, right? Um, one of the, uh, I have a guy that I love to death. His name is Eric Weyenmeyer. And when I do my seminars, I put a picture of Eric on the screen, right? And the picture of him is he's standing on Mount Everest. And the way he's standing, he's standing kind of cockeyed, right? One leg, it looks like, it looks like one leg is longer than the other. And so I trick my audience and I, and I say, all right, so who here can tell me where Eric's standing? And, you know, eventually they go Mount Everest. And I go, yep, that's correct. However, there's something really, really wrong, physically wrong with him. He's got something physically wrong. So I want you to look very carefully and tell me what's wrong with him. And then raise your hand if you think you figured it out. And by the way, if you know what's wrong with you, don't, don't, you know, let, let this, let this play out for the rest of the audience. And so now your brain wants to, wants to know, it wants to be right. And the ego says, okay, we'll find something wrong with it. Well, they typically say, Roy, well, it looks like one leg's longer than the other. And that's typically right. That, the answer they get. And so once I get that to him, I go, by the way, let me tell you something else about Eric. He can ride a mountain bike. Like you wouldn't believe. You put that boy on a mountain bike and he'd tear it up. Put him in a kayak, you could probably take him down any river in the world. In fact, he just did the Grand Canyon Gorge with the Colorado River here recently. By the way, I failed to mention, he's climbed the seven highest mountains on Earth. 
So every there's seven continents, seven mountains, including Everest. He's climbed them all. And here's what's here's the challenging part with Eric. He's blind. So I tell that to you. I tell that to my audience because I want that to mess with their head. Because if you look at that and go, really? Are you telling me that that kid can ride a, 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 a mountain bike? He can kayak like crazy. He's climbed the seven highest mountains on earth. But guess what? He's blind. So I don't know what story you tell yourself about what you can do or what you can't do. But like Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So belief system going into it is everything, right? It's just that Tony does a really good job of pre-framing it. So he gets you to that point because he wants you to get across those, those coals because he knows that that's going to be one of the most life-changing experiences that you'll ever have. So that's the leverage. And you're absolutely right. You nailed it. So if I can walk on coals that are 1,000 degrees, what else can I do? Excellent. And like at the start, you, you mentioned um, uh, you know, about your tough upbringing. And do you, like because you're in AA and you, you've kind of seen that, obviously something like that could change. You know, like did you, is this something that you encourage other people that are uh, going to AA, whether they're starting their journey or they've been a few years into it? How, because you know, people kind of look at, the, the, you know, it's the, the dark glass, you know, you mentioned, you know, the gun and stuff yep. like that. Like, you know, we, we need to kind of look at the sun instead and like things like that definitely can change your perspective overnight. And even just seeing a blind guy, it's like you start, you know, stop looking at kind of my situation and change it around. Is this something that you've kind of seen when you're in groups and helping people? hundred percent. Because uh, here's what I here's here's what I say a lot. The two most important times in my life was the moment I was born and the moment I figured out why. I knew that my life was more than drinking and doing drugs and hanging around, you know, prostitutes and pimps and drug addicts and drug dealers and crime and guns and violence. Right? You know, you know, deep in the in the back of your mind, that's not where you were put on this planet to do. Right. I think it's Gary V that talks a lot about um, uh, and I love what he says, because I agree with him that the that the chances of being born were one in 400 trillion. You're not an accident. You're here to serve a purpose. And so, um, you know, one of the things I like to say a lot is uh, they say that every human has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. And so from my perspective, when I get on stage, I'm raw. I tell everybody, look, I was a horrible person. I'd have killed you over a Klondike bar. I was not a nice guy. And I was on a road that was full of death and destruction. And so I tell people about my recovery because I want them to know, number one, if they're struggling with drugs and alcohol, you need help, I'm your boy. Let me know. <clears throat> I'll help you 100%. <clears throat> it doesn't cost anything, right? I'm, I'm here to help save your life. Um, and here's why that's so prevalent in my life, Roy, is because when I got to AA, it said in the preamble, right? It said, when, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible, which told me that I'm all in. So when that new guy walks through the door or that new person walks through the door, man or woman, I say, man, only because the group that I grew up in was an all men's group. So all the, you know, so everyone was coming through that door were men. Um, and, and so I latched onto him, but I also latched onto him with, I was pretty hardcore, a lot of tough love, 
Um, I would tell guys, look, you know, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to be your friend. Not right now. Uh, -uh. you want a friend by a dog, your life's on the line. Okay. You're going to die. I'm telling you right now, alcoholism and drug addiction, uh, drug uh, overdose and everything else, especially today with fentanyl. Oh my God, that scares me to death. That's a, that's a whole nother subject. It wasn't even around when I got sober, right? Cause I got sober on June 8th of 1988. So, you know, they've got to, we, they've got to know that we care and they've got to know that we've been in that position with them. So we're congruent with that. And then once that starts and we say, okay, well, here's the first step, right? That's why there's 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? First step is you got to admit that you're powerless over alcohol and your life's is unmanageable. Well, you know, look around. If you're in an AA meeting, chances are, you know, you're not there by any accident, right? You, you, you've got court cases coming up. You got puke on your shoes. I mean, you're headed for divorce. Your kids can't stand you. Your dog can't even stand you. And so, you know, you have to go back through that. So then the second step, you know, once you realize that you're powerless, then it goes into the second step, which basically you admit that you that you got a problem and that your life's unmanageable. And so, and you believe there's a power greater than you that can restore you to sanity. And so that's how the healing process begins. Well, just because you're an alcoholic doesn't mean you're not struggling with other things or you're not an alcoholic, right? Some people struggle with gambling. Some people struggle with pornography. Some people struggle with their cell phones. I mean, these things, these things are crazy. Like my regiment, I get asked all the time, Roy, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning, Dave? I make my bed. Why? Because that's the first task of the day for me. Because even if my whole day goes crappy, I come home to a bed that's made. <laughs> right? So, uh, and I learned that in the military. Because when you get in the military, what's the first thing you do? So there was the regiment of that. So I, I make my bed. Then I drink water. Um, then I do my meditations. Then I do my sound therapy. Uh, and then I read 10 pages of something positive in a good book. That happens every morning. And then I take my shower and I take a nice warm shower like everybody else. But then at the end, I turn the water off and I turn it on cold. And I stand there for two minutes in cold water. Why? Because it's hard. And here's what I've learned. Do the things that are hard and life becomes easier. <laughs> Just pretty much kind of like a universal code. Do, do everything that's easy and life will become hard. And I live in the mountains, right? So I have well water. I have mountain spring water coming into my house. And I can tell you, just like this morning, that water is cold. <laughs> it's really cold, right? Um, but I don't negotiate with myself. And I learned that from Tony Robbins, right? A lot of times it's like, all right, this week I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get up at 530 and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, the next thing you know, the alarm goes off and you go, well, I'll just, I'll just hit the snooze button for another five minutes. Uh-uh. You're in trouble. When you take that kind of mindset to anything you want to accomplish in life, it doesn't work. So my, 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 my response to that is stop negotiating with yourself and just do it. And you've got to build the why. Why are you doing it? Because if, if the why is strong enough, the how will always show up, just the way it is, the way we're engineered, right? So from my perspective is that that's why I get people to the firewalk. And that's why CEOs and companies, they get it. Because right now, let's face it, we just spent two years getting our butts kicked with COVID, right? And it ripped us all apart. It ripped companies apart. It ripped people apart. It ripped families apart because everybody's so divided. 
You know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. You know, love the political party in America. It's, you know, you know, we you either hate Donald Trump or you love Donald Trump. Right. Well, why hate anything? I mean, you know, because uh, uh, I get asked all the time, you're an interesting guy, Dave. What side of the political aisle are you on? Are you a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> I laugh every time. I'm like, for the love of God, give me a better choice. If you think I'm going to join into a two-party system that does nothing but but lie and misrepresent and beat up on each other and point fingers and blame everybody all the time, why, why would I want to be a part of that? I don't. I want to love my family. I want to have a good time while I'm here on this planet. I, I've been called to help and encourage people and lift up their self-worth, their self-confidence, and their self-esteem. And that's my calling. And, and, and here's what's interesting. When companies come to me, a lot of times I'm dealing with CEOs and people like this, and they've achieved at a very high level, right? You know, they made lots of money. They've, you know, they've, they've, it really comes down to money. That's what they base their success on. Well, here's my question to them. How fulfilled do you feel? And they always look at me like, oh, but I made a lot of money. That's not what I'm asking. Well, I'm successful. Well, define success. Because here's my belief. Achievement without high levels of fulfillment is failure. Because I talk, again, I, I'm in front of entrepreneurs, very successful, multi-million dollar entrepreneurs all the time. And one of the first things I tell them from the stage is, look, you are not going to get to the end of your life and look back and go, wow, I wish I'd have spent more time making money and less time with my family. That's not going to happen. So you better get dialed in. <laughs> you better get that part figured out. And from my perspective, I learned, and again, I've learned this from many, many mentors. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not teaching anything new. Really. I, everything I have inside of me and my, my wisdom level has come from people that I've studied from around the world. Some are alive, some are dead, right? Some are, the, are like the Stoics, you know, like uh, uh, Marcus Aurelia and, and Seneca and Plato and all of them. I, I, I love the Stoicism. Um, but again, I don't have anything new. I've just learned a lot and want to, you know, teach that or leave that with the people that come to my, to my events. Which, um, um, I, with because you've you've got some really uh, high caliber uh, clients like you know the Google NASA. There's a, there's a load that you've actually dealt with Heineken and and I'm just curious that when you've got a team coming in without actually saying any because you don't want to bite off the hand that fits feeds you, but have you seen a culture that's not kind of serving of humanity deep in the organization? Hundred percent. Yeah. All the time. Sure. Um, because their product or their service is not serving at a high level. And so, you know, and, and here's what's interesting. Um, let's just say there's companies out there that make products that are absolute crap. They're horrible. They're toxic. They're full of sugars and contaminants and, and all kinds of things, right? And that's just kind of, I could sit here and talk all day about food products and things of this nature, especially here in the U.S. I can't address uh, the rest of the world. And so there's companies like that, and they've come to me and asked me to, to, you know, come in and do an event for them. And I say, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I've got to look myself in, in the mirror 
every day. And I, and I, when I go to bed at night, I've got to be able to put my head on the pillow and go, all right, I did a great job today for that company because they're a pretty cool company. Yes. You know, I, I've done business with Google, with NASA, Notre Dame, Heineken, Remax. Um, oh, my God, Chick-fil-A. You, you know, the list is long and distinguished. Um, and at the end of the day, I, you know, yeah, I, that's where I that's where I want to spend my time because I can't because I'm in a position that I choose. Everything that happens in my life, I get to make the decision whether I do or I don't. And here's something that's really critical. Everything that happens in our lives, whether it's good or bad, every, and everything in between, we create a story about it. And the story we create either empowers us or it disempowers us. We either tell the truth or we embellish it. So I reduce that to the ridiculous. And I look people in the eye and say, look, you want to change your life? Change your story. I met two, I, I remember these two brothers uh, uh, one time, uh, one of them went to prison. He had a horrible life and he was, and both of the brothers were badly raped, physically abused. I mean, they were treated badly. They were locked in the attic. They, they, they didn't, they didn't get food for days and days at a time. The physical abuse was unbelievable. There was sexual and physical. They used to get beat, both of them. One went to prison and one of them created an unbelievable life for himself. In fact, when they interviewed the one that went to prison, you ought to see him. He was insane. He was screaming and yelling during the interview. And he was like, you know, and if you were treated the way I was treated, this is where you end up. So his story <clears throat> was based on that. He created that story. <clears throat> Excuse me. The other one had a beautiful life. When they interviewed him, they went to his house. You know, there was his kids, his wife. You could smell the chocolate chip cookies. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so, you know, here's two exact guys, same circumstances, same situation. Um, and yet one had a beautiful life and one life wasn't, wasn't, wasn't too nice. So, you know, um, I think the book, um, you know, um, Man's Search for Meaning, I think it's one of the greatest books of all time. It's, it's, it's a really hard read. And, and we learn in that book that here's a man who <clears throat> went to Auschwitz. They murdered his family, and 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 how did he get out? He got out because it was a story he told himself. Because he said, "I have to tell this story." And so, you know, I, I'm a I'm a big believer that you've got to keep good things coming in, right? You've got to, That's why I read ten pages every morning in a good book because I know what that does. It programs my brain going forward that morning. Uh, and, and, and the laws of attraction come into play. I do that in my meditations. You know, I believe I'm going to meet the right people at the right place at the right time for the betterment of all every single day. And if something doesn't happen that I want to happen or I think should happen and it doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. So I, I guess what I've learned is I don't struggle with that stuff anymore. Um, and I think one of the number one things that every human, if you can, if you can master this, your life will be magic, magical beyond belief. And that is you've got to manage state management. You've got to manage your state on a regular basis. And when you can do that and you don't lash out and you don't, you don't, you know what I mean? You don't engage with people that, um, are screaming and yelling and carrying on. You have to ask yourself powerful questions. What's really going on here? What happened to this human that he's got to act out like this? How can I support this human being? How can I love them in the moment? 
right? So you, once you start doing those kinds of things, right, you get used to that, then that's how these are the answers that come forward when you're put in situations uh, where, you know, things are chaotic or there's chaos or, or whatever. Um, so it's, with, with situations like that, when somebody, you know, whether it's road rage or whatever, you know, the way people react, when you keep calm, they eventually, whereas most people don't, they just react the exact same way. And that's how it spirals and sometimes leads to digs and everything. But when you keep calm, eventually they'll start apologizing because they've kind of even realized themselves that they've, you know, they're out of character and you can just change everything. But you have to kind of find the calmness within that you're not. And that's all working. I mean, for me, it's like spotting everything, you know, just reading. Like I love reading books. I love all positive books, but also, you know, reading a book on anger, making sure that, you know, you're in total control, reading a book on everything. And, you know, you're, you're on about uh, positive things. Like I don't, before I would use watch horrors and stuff. I don't because I believe the brain doesn't know what's real and what's not. And by it watching doesn't. negative stuff, it's like, why would you put that into your body? So I, I watch like, you know, things like Shark Tank. I love entrepreneurship and stuff like that. And I sit down with my youngest child and he's watching things like that because that has a positive impact on you. And plus, you know, the people around you, you know, you have to kind of train yourself to be the best person that you are. And it's not that you're trying to tell your children, do this, do that. Once they see you being the best person that you are, they become the best person that they can be just by you being, you know, who you are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that was so beautiful, my friend. Uh, because you're you you are a hundred percent right. Your kids will, you know, become what they've learned from you. So if you stay calm, they they understand calmness works. Um, you know, I I I'm up here and, and I'm gonna stay there because I worked really hard to get here. So if somebody comes along down here and what tries to bring me down, no, I'm not doing that. What's my job? My job is to bring them up. Yeah. So if I take a nice deep breath and I count to three, meaning, okay, just take oxygen into your lungs. Because that's a lot of time when I do the firewalk, when they're really scared and they're standing there, that's how I get them across. I'm like, okay, just relax. We're not going to do anything right at the moment. Okay, I want your eyes up and I want you to take a nice deep breath in. Take the oxygen way deep in your lungs and just hold it. Hold it, hold it. Now exhale. Now let's do it again. Nice deep breath. So I'll take them through three cleansing breaths. And so I move them from being in here to here. And once I get them here, their heart goes, I got this. You're going to be okay. Okay. You're going to walk on some coals. What's the worst situation? What's the worst thing that can happen? Um, Oprah fire walked years ago. I think it was back in 2010. And if you want to see something really cool, go Google her fire walk. Okay. It's there. It's on tape. And I'll tell you, up until when she walks, she's losing it, right? She's, she is freaking out. And, and so she goes through this process, and finally she comes up. Tony's there with her, and, and Tony gets her into a, into a good state, into a powerful state. And he says to her, he goes, Oprah, what's the worst that can happen? Burn your feet off and die? Come on. I'm not going to let you get hurt. We're going to take care of you. And so next thing you know, boom, she goes and she walks. And when she gets to the other end, the celebration end, she loses it again. She is jumping up and down. She's celebrating. You can see it's exhilarating. Her body is going nuts. Well, she leaves where the fire land is. She goes back behind and the cameras go with her. And all of a sudden she's like, she's processing now, right? And her brain is going, okay, that was extraordinary. I walked on coals, thousand degrees. I didn't get burnt. What's this mean? 
metaphorically, right? And all of a sudden, boom, you can see the lights go off in her head. And she says, this is it, people. This is the next chapter. This is the next chapter, people. And so here's one of the most successful women on earth who right there in that moment, within 60 seconds of firewalking, makes one of the biggest decisions of her life. And she creates that whole new product, if you will, called the next chapter. And so and this, this, this goes back to what Tony teaches. If you're going to make a major decision or, or, or really a decision about anything, you need to make it from a peak state. You don't want to make it from what I call the E or mindset, right? You know, E or from Disney, right? Well, we're gonna have another bad day today. So if you're, and I jokingly say that because I laugh, because you know, if you're trying to make a decision from that place, you're probably not going to make a very good decision. However, if I'm in a peak state and I'm focused and everything's going, all everything's kicking in my body, my body and my my heart, and my mind are moving at the same time. That's a peak state. And it's just like watching any professional sport, any professional athlete, right? You look at MMA, MMA fighting today, right? When they're walking into the arena and they're getting ready to get into the ring, right? They're not just kind of walking along going, okay, I'm, here I go. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm going to go kick his butt now. I mean, no, no. You know, they are freaking their body, all the adrenaline, you know, all the chemicals in the body, the body is showing up because the body's going into the arena and knows what to do. Kind of the same thing with life. How do you want to show up? And, and, and again, because the world in this, like the mainstream media, I don't watch it at all. I mean, unless I want to entertain myself. If I want a good laugh, if I want a good chuckle, yeah, I'll flip it on CNN or MSNBC or, or Fox or any. I don't care because it's not it's not media anymore. The, you know, it, 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 that's not what it is. It's it's all fear. And, and it's and, it, and, and that's what sells in the commercials. And it's, and so and, and that's starting to fall apart. People are starting to real, realize that's that's not editorial. It's not real journalism. You know, they don't have people out in the, when I was a kid, journalism was, you had people out there all over the world interviewing and finding out the facts and then bringing it back and, 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 and presenting it to us. You know, that doesn't happen anymore unless, well, there are some media sources that if you want to look into that. But again, I, my point of that was that I don't do that. Because you want to, you want to tear yourself down. You want to tear your mind down. You want to just get, you know, uh, oh, it's just infested. Now get out of that. So, um, you know, and again, for like me to kind of, I'll move this forward. Um, this year, 2023 is going to. I told. I back in December, I found out that I was going to. I had another grandchild coming. My my granddaughter's coming. She'll be here next month. Uh, her name is Charlotte Ray. She's in the womb. She'll be here. And when my daughter told me that Charlotte Ray was coming, I went, "Hmm. All right, Dave. Well, what do you want to do? You're 69 years old this year, and you know how much time do you have left? I don't know." Um, uh, but what I do know is you've got a granddaughter coming and she deserves you because I think we learn as much, if not more from our grandparents than we do our parents. And so I want to be there for her and I want to be there for my grandson, Caden, and he's five, going to be six this year. And I've had the time of my life with that little boy. And, you know, and when, when he sees grandpa and grandpa sees him, 
oh my gosh, <laughs> you would think it was like we were getting ready to go to Disneyland with excitement. I get down on his level, right? And we come together and we lug and we hug and we play and we laugh. And that's what he's going to remember from me. His entire life, he's going to remember that his grandpa connected with him at a level that was, I believe, was what I needed to do. It's my responsibility. Because, you know, you work your whole life, you get to a, you get to a point, you get to my age, and, and, and I'm blessed with a, a grandson and now a granddaughter. That's a sweet spot in life. That, my friend, is called fulfillment. And, and it's not based on money, right? You can buy, you know, buy Ferraris, buy Lambos, you know, buy big houses. I, I, you know, being immersed in the Tony Robbins world, Roy, I, I was around a lot of billionaires, a lot of millionaires. And they're some of the most miserable people on earth. And they got it all. A lot of them had fame, fortune. They were rock stars. They were actors. They were actresses. You know, uh, it, it, very successful people, you know, on, big entrepreneurs, CEOs. And again, they didn't connect the dots. And to connect the dots is, again, it's back to what I said earlier, you got to take achievement and fulfillment and bring them together. Because if you don't, You'll get to the end and go, oops, I missed it. And I'm curious, actually, because you mentioned that you were allowed to take your family with you. That must have been a fantastic experience for them to be actually in all different countries and cities, because that's a be that's the best way of learning life. Oh, my gosh. Right. So when um, when uh, Tony offered it to me, I said, well, Tony, you know, is it OK if I call my family and, you know, let me let, let me tell them what's going on? And he said, of course. And so um, I called up. Well, I called in. Well, what was interesting is that one of my wife's uh, dear friends, who was part of what's kind of a goddess retreat group of girls, she worked for RRI. She worked in San Diego at the corporate office. So when Tony was going to offer this to me, um, she called my wife and said, "Hey, shh, don't tell Dave, but RRI is getting ready to offer him this captain's position." And you're probably going to get a phone call. And so she said, oh, really? Oh, my gosh. So she told my kids. So they're sitting there after I come out of the meeting waiting for dad to call. And sure enough, when I called, when I called in, uh, when I called home, right, uh, we, were, uh, we were in the Bahamas at the Atlantis Hotel at his, one of his premier events called Date with Destiny. And so when I called home, uh, my son answered the phone. Like, it rings one time. And he goes, hello. <laughs> right? And I said, hey. Junior, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, Dad. What's going on with you? <laughs> right? Because he knows what's going on. And I said, Well, hey, I just got out of a meeting, and uh, and uh, uh, Tony wants me to take over all the firewalks globally. And I was just calling to tell you and your sister and your mom and see what you guys thought about that. And Davey's like, You think, Dad? <laughs> right? And so, and he immediately first question he asked me was. Where's our first event, Dad? And I said, Sydney, Australia. So that was literally their first event. Right. Right? So we homeschooled, right? So we were living on a farm in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia at the time. And so, yeah, you know, we, we, uh, we put the kids on a plane and we flew whatever the crazy 22 hours from uh, uh, the States, the United States, you know, all the way over to Sydney. And so that was their very first event. And you're absolutely right. You know, can you imagine being a six-year-old and a nine-year-old and you're on the road with Tony Robbins, right? And you're going to London and you're going to Hawaii and you're going to 
uh, you know, uh, Sydney, Australia, and you're going all over the world, all over the United States, it's everywhere for us, right? I mean, from my perspective, yeah, I'm out there working my team like a bunch of rented mules. And yet at the same time, you know, when I would finish at the end of the evening, I would go home and there was my family. And then they got to hang out, right? They got to hang out in the green room. They got to hang around, you know, backstage where everything was going on. You know, Tony would come off stage and he'd say, come here, Al come here, Albinos, you know, and he would, he would hug them and, and kiss them. And you know what I mean? He was him and Sage, both his wife were, they were so lovely to my family. They treated my kids like gold. Um, and so it was a wonderful thing for them. So yeah, they had the experience of, can you imagine, you know, again, six, seven, eight years old, uh, uh, traveling around the world and seeing all these firewalks and they were always out there with me. Matter of fact, um, they did their first firewalk in New York. Um, and I think it was in 2001. Um, it was after nine 11 and uh, my daughter was six. And um, um, my son was nine. In fact, we just did a, I just came out of this weekend, a three-day virtual event. And um, uh, we did the fire team. So when we travel around the world, I had over a thousand people that would come and help us put on these firewalks. And it's called the fire team. And so we just did a reunion of all that, which was a three-day virtual that we just did. And so during, we had all the different captains that were in my position together. And we got the, we really chronologically connected from Tony's very first firewalk to where we are today. And all the people and all the captains that were part of that. Well, we're sitting there and we're doing this virtual event. And we're talking about the history and the memorial of a lot of the fire team members that we've lost and all that. And guess who shows up? <laughs> all of a sudden, oh, hold on, guys, hold on a second. We've got a special guest hold on hold on boom right and there's tony and he uh he recorded a a thing for us and um you know again 2023 is going to be my last year and uh, uh if somebody's interested in, in talking to us or they want to change their, their you know their culture or they want to enhance their culture or they're having dissension and you want to bring your people together get them across that fire because i'll guarantee you that they will connect in a level uh, unlike anything they've ever experienced in their life. Excellent, and just just finally, because I know with um with, with your own business now, you you've, you're doing glass walking as well. You're doing the arrow and the throat board breaking, and I actually saw one of the videos where there's a a chap in a wheelchair, and he actually does it with his hands, and it looks so impressive. You know, like oh gosh, oh my gosh, yeah, that's Cedric. Uh, you're talking about. So we did a glass well. Glass walk, what does that mean? First of all, glass walk is we teach you how to walk across broken glass, okay? And why do we do that? Well, because <clears throat> fire walking isn't always logistically possible, right? So I want to back up. And sometimes clients will ask me, so Dave, what happens if we get rained out? Well, I can tell you in the, you know, three decades that I've been doing this, very rarely do we get rained out. Um, we'll get it done. Right? Just because we get rained on when we're outside building this fire, we don't care about that. My team doesn't care about that because they're there to serve. And so, however, if we do, what's, our, what's, what's the backup? Well, we do the glass walk. Well, I had a client out of Montreal who we did events in Montreal, and then we also did events in Paris. And so in 2018, we set a world record in Paris 
Um, we, we glass walked over 1500 people. And so the glass walks going on, right, Roy? So it's going in and I'm watching it because I've trained the team because there's two people per glass walk lane that I need. One puts their elbow out so that they, the other person can rest their hand on there for balance. And then when they get to the end of the glass, then what we do is we have them lift up their foot before they step off and we inspect their foot really, really well and we brush it off, right? Well, one of the girls comes running up to me and she goes, Dave, Dave, come quick. You got to talk to this guy. And so I, I, I go over there and there's this, this young, young man. I, th I think Cedric's probably maybe in his late 30s, I'm guessing. Cedric, if you watch this and I got that wrong, I apologize you know, send me an email and I'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get on a Zoom call. Um, lovely guy, man. What a dude. And so his, 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 both of his legs, he had no movement in it at all. And so um, he said, I want to walk on my hands. And he says, can I do that? And I said, do you believe you can do it? And he says, absolutely. And I said, look, we're on. And so my son was with me uh, when I went to Paris. So my, my son and I were there and sure enough, um, Cedric, you know, he, he knows how to move on his hands. Right. And he went up and he stood on the glass on his hands. And he, and as you saw in the, in the, in the video, Roy, right. He does a push up. He does a couple of them. And, um, you know, I wipe his hands off. And so, um, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Um, I've seen the same thing with the firewalk. Uh, we had a young man in Tampa, Florida, uh, many years ago, um, where uh, this young man had been hit by a drunk driver and he lost both legs. I mean, they were both amputated and he came to a firewalk. He was very suicidal and he was a collegiate athlete in high school and he had a lot of upper body strength, right? Because he played football, he was a wrestler. And so he was a, you know, very strong kid, great shape. And he pulled his wheelchair up to the fire lane. And, uh, and so we're watching him and Tony and I look at him and Tony looks at me like, I think we're going to see something pretty awesome here in a minute. And all of a sudden Tony bent down to talk to him and this kid waved him off. Like I got this, you know, and he moved his wheelchair and he got, and he kind of moved his, his, his torso. And next thing you know, he threw himself forward. He landed on his hands, Roy, and he walked across the fire on his hands. So when you're exposed to that kind of human you know, extraordinary type of things and acts and moving themselves in that direction, it's going to affect you. And, and, and if I've learned anything from Tony, peer group is everything. You, you, you better be darn careful who you hang out with because we know that you will become who you spend time with. And if you take the, if you take the five people in your life that you spend the most time with and you average out how much money they earn and you look at that average, you're within 10% of that. So love your family, choose your friends because you will become who you spend time with, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So just just, just finally, because I, I saw the boards as well, because I had seen at one event I went to, I didn't do it myself, but the arrows, which is I mean, that's fascinating in itself as well, where you're breaking an arrow with your neck. But with the boards, because I remember I used to do Kung Fu. I started doing Kung Fu when I was uh, 16. And I remember we had, they were the boards that they actually slot in place. So it wasn't timber, but I, I just couldn't do it. But once I kind of overcame that barrier and got through, then I was able to do the blackboards or a couple of boards together. And it, it's like, it's a psychological thing. Like you think, you know, because you hit it, it's just like your hand just stops. 
And I, I mean, obviously you probably see that because even one of your videos, you see a guy and then he breaks through it. And you can just see the pleasure yeah. as well, because like you just assume you can't do it. And as soon as you do it, then it's euphoria. Right. Well, that guy you talked about there was uh, an event that I did for Chick-fil-A, which is a chicken uh, a fast food restaurant uh, here in the United States. And they've got really, really good food. Uh, they, 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 they really do it right. Um, and so if you notice when he goes to hit, he pulls back just as he hits the board, which is what we do in life, right? We get ready to go do something and then we pull back. So the metaphor for the board break is phenomenal, right? And, and so I'm like, no, you got to come to here. So a lot of times I'll take the board away and I'll have him do it. And I have him go all the way through. And then I put the board back and then, yeah, they're there. If, the, if the board is like here, they're, they're going all the way through to here. Right. So this board boom break through. And, and so, yeah, it's fascinating. Now I, I, I have different levels of that, right. I have boards that I buy from a martial arts uh, supplier and they come in different thicknesses. They come in 18 millimeter, 12 and eight millimeter. So that way I can do kids. And literally, I can take a five-year-old or a six-year-old, and they can break a board with their bare hands. So, you know, you think about it as an adult and how exhilarating that was for you. Well, give me a 10-year-old. Give me an 11-year-old kid. I do this all the time. My local high school hired me here last year. Um, it was called uh, Career, uh, Career Day. Um, and uh, so they all get together, and companies come in, and they talk about college and education and entrepreneurship. And where are you going to go after you graduate? Well, I came in, I spoke to the entire school, all the grades, and then the seniors, they brought the seniors to me and we did a board break, um, which was phenomenal. And so the other thing about the board break that I love is that I incorporate the board break with the firewalk. A lot of times a client will come to me and I'll say, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll throw in the board break experience with your firewalk. You just buy the boards. Right. And so what we do is I, I take that board and I take it a step further. And so I'm really glad you asked about this, because what I do is I have them write something on front of the board they want to move towards. And then I have them write something on the back of the board they need to move away from. Right. <clears throat> we all have something that we need to stop doing. And then to kind of turn it into the rite of passage that I discussed earlier, I have them write anybody's name on that board that they're in conflict with. So if you're, if you're angry at them or they're angry at you or you've got any kind of conflict, it ends tonight. Walking around in life, being mad and angry with somebody is not a way to go through life. So it ends tonight. So write their name on the board. And then to create the rite of passage, Roy, I, write, I have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. Right? So bring them, invite them to the energy of this rite of passage. And so they break the board and then... A lot of times we're doing that inside. The, I got my team outside getting the fire ready. And then after we do that, we take them outside and then we fire walk them. And then after we fire walk them, we have an area of the pit and then they go and they take their boards and they throw it um, into, the, uh, into the fire pit. And then there's a proprietary process that I take them through after that uh, where I get two people to come together and I get their hearts to start beating at the same time. So your heart doesn't care about COVID. It doesn't care about mask wearing. It doesn't care about your political stance. None of that. What I'm doing is I'm putting together with another human being and I'm allowing you and setting you up to win and allowing yourself to connect with another human being at the human level um, and your hearts start beating at the same time. 
It is probably the most powerful part of any of my seminars, right? Yeah, put an arrow in your neck, put it up against the wall, step through and break it. Pretty powerful, pretty scary, right? Because it's the only experience that there's the illusion. If that arrow pierces my neck, what happens? You're dead, right? So you're, you know what I mean? So your brain is just going crazy looking for all that, right? And then we have the rebar bend too, where you put two people together, you put the rebar in your throat, and then you have to move at the same time and you bend the rebar, you bend that steel. Um, and then again, so once you incorporate, uh, like uh, I, I, a lot of times I take the arrow break and the glass walk and I combine them together. And the reason I do it is because now we're giving you a double whammy. We're giving you two really powerful experiences. So I believe, you know, I've been to a lot of seminars and some, sometimes you get a speaker on stage and they're really good. They're a really good speaker. But three days later, I can't tell you their name and I, and I have no takeaway from it. You know, I can, I can barely remember anything they said. And, and, I've, and I've witnessed this and I've noticed this and I know they've taken surveys for this. Back in 2018, they interviewed like 10,000 people that had been to all kinds of different seminars and these people couldn't remember the name of the, of the facilitator. They couldn't remember name of the speaker. They couldn't remember much of anything. There wasn't much of a takeaway. So with my seminars, they may not remember me. They may not remember anything I ever said, but you know what they will remember? How I made them feel. I guarantee you one thing. You put an arrow in your neck and break it, you'll remember it. You walk across glass the same day, you'll remember it. You do a fire walk and a board break the same day, you'll remember it. And, and, and the act is what changes your life. It's not Dave Albin. It's nothing nice. Yeah, I know I do I do really work hard to create a powerful preframe to all those experiences. But again, at the end of the day, most of that they may forget. Now they may remember something about my alcohol and drug addiction because that hit a chord with them, right? Because they got a, a mother or a father or a brother or a sister, or maybe they got their own drug and alcohol issues, so they can relate to that. And that's why I tell that story, because I want to open that up. I want them to be able to approach me and come to me for the help of that. And that, they, that, and that goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that I learned in AA, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. But I carry the same responsibility into, I'm there to change your life. I'm there to change the trajectory of your life. That's my goal. If I can create a top 10 experience in your life, I did my job. <laughs> so that's, that's what, that's, that's the, that's the energy and the mindset that I bring to every event. Well, what you should do actually is set up a grill as well. So after they walk on the fire, they can cook a few sausages. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we do that. I, I, it's not sausages, but we do something in the States called schmores where, where it's graham crackers, uh, marshmallows and chocolate. And so you put them together and you wrap them in aluminum foil and you let them in the fire. And then the marshmallow and the chocolate melts oh, into the that. graham cracker. Oh, I'll tell you, brother, they're pretty tasty. <laughs> oh, excellent. Listen, Dave, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how, where they can get you. Oh, sure. Uh, firewalkadventures.com. Uh, my website's there. My uh, All the contact information. Uh, as you said, you uh, we got a lot of pictures there and videos. You can... You can you can you should be able to get all the information that you'll need uh, to decide whether you want to contact us, us and let us come uh, take your your organization to a much much higher level. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, Dave. My pleasure. Thanks, Roy.
So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find other episodes on speakingpodcast.com. As mentioned, we're on BitChute and YouTube. And my four other podcasts, as well as the coaching, bio.link forward slash podcaster. Sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating. Share with your friends. Until next week, take care.